I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode 14 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. This is a serialized podcast, so if you're new, be sure to start with episode 1. This week, I'd like to give a shout-out to two new patrons, Josh, Milkman White Badge, and Anthony S. Fly Sprayer. Thank you so much for your support. If you are interested in supporting the show through Patreon, Coffee, or if you're looking for a cool new t-shirt, go to howiemilkman.com. And with that, let's get to the episode entitled Greenwood. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gav's, starring Howie the Milkman. Once upon a time, and a really awful time it was, I saw a red cow scrambling out of a hole in the ground, and the cow came up to me and said, Milk me, oh milk me, my sweet little boy, and I will give you a most wondrous toy. Up and down the hedgerow we go, take a wrong step and down you will go. And then, a poke in the arm, and off into the deep dark blackness I went. I heard myself mumbling something I couldn't understand. I was floating through the clouds of yellow sulfur and perfume. My mouth was dry, and I couldn't swallow. I heard the sound of tearing, paper tearing. Then it dawned on me that my eyes were open and unfocused, surrounded by some pale, sickly, yellow fog. I squinted to focus better, and there, in front of my face, was a bizarre pattern, like plants curling this way and that, little dots and flowers, the color of bile, serpentining all up and down. It was a wall, and it was two or three inches from my nose. Trying to focus made my stomach churn. I pulled back and took in my surroundings. I was in a big, fluffy bed, the pillow too soft. I was having a hard time breathing. My chest hurt. The room was filled with sun. The walls were covered with garish wallpaper. And that's when I realized that I'd been tearing bits of paper off the wall. I pushed one of the pillows up against the ripped part so that nobody would see. I tried to look out the window, but to my eyes, it was just a blur of light, surrounded by thick, flowery fuchsia curtains. There was a bedside table with a small mechanical horse toy. 
also a syringe and a brown glass bottle. There was a white dresser with flowers in an ornate vase on it. I tried to speak, but just croaked like a dried-out old frog. I pushed myself as best I could to roll over. I looked down at the thick rug. The floral print made me dizzy, and I rolled onto my back and drifted off to sleep again. Something moved on the bed, and my eyes opened again. It was evening. The colors in the room were less intense. Out the window were leafy trees in the red evening light. And there was Mr. Greenwood smiling down at me with a cup of water in his hand. I struggled to sit up a bit, and he put the glass to my lips. That's good, Howie. You must be very thirsty. I wanted to drink the whole glass, but after a few sips I, I couldn't drink anymore. Where, why am I here? Dr. Barrett told us what to do. He said that you needed bed rest, good food, and an occasional dose of, of laudanum. All things we could do here. Stormy wanted to bring you back here so we could take care of you. Where is she? Oh, she's just out with some friends at the moment, and I'm sure she'll be along before too long. And I'm very glad to see you revived somewhat. You've been in and out of consciousness for a couple of days now. What happened? That's what I've been meaning to ask you. Someone found you early in the morning, bleeding from a cut in your chest and unconscious. Dr. Barrett patched you up. You don't remember anything? I opened my mouth to speak, but I retched a bit like I was going to throw up and more or less collapse back onto the bed. That's okay, Howie. You just rest. Just, just rest. He felt my forehead, smiled, and left me there, dozing. The light got dimmer and dimmer as the sun sank lower. I tried to keep my eyes away from the wallpaper. The leaves out the window got deeper and deeper red before turning gray in the dusk. Then it was morning, and I was hungry and thirsty. Hello? I called out. Moments later, Stormy came in. For me, it was like a scene in slow motion. The door opened and the whole room was filled with her big smile and all that flowing dark hair. My nostrils filled up with wonderful perfume smells. Oh, Howie! Then her arms were around me and I was happy. How are you feeling? I'm thirsty and hungry. No wonder Dr. Barrett said you were malnourished and exhausted. He said that would make your recovery longer. I was so worried about you and she hugged me tighter until I coughed. <coughs> oh, sorry. Mr. Greenwood came in with a tray. There was tea, orange juice, and some sweet buns with jam. I teared up a bit. I'd never seen a breakfast like that, and my heart flowed over with gratitude. I sat up a bit and wiped my eyes. This is so nice of you. Is this your room? I'm sleeping in the guest room. I wanted you to be in here, in my room, since it's more cheerful. I munched away at this royal breakfast and Stormy and her father pulled up chairs. Mr. Greenwood took out a beautiful old pipe and lit it. We spoke and laughed and it was almost worth getting stabbed just to spend the morning like this. Stormy helped to pull up my shirt and I saw the stitches where I'd been cut. So Howie, do you remember what happened? My head was still swimming and I accidentally blurted out something I maybe shouldn't have. A bit, 
Mr. Corwin, he wanted me to go underground. He said I had to milk an underground cow and that only I could do it. But then there was this magician and he showed me how I'd broken the pillars under the earth and then he stabbed me with a penknife and then I was at the milk station. They looked at each other. Maybe you gave him too much of the painkiller, Stormy asked her father. He hasn't had any this morning. It's not the painkiller, it's true. The last thing I wanted was for the Greenwoods to think I was crazy. I'd vowed to tell Stormy the truth, and I was betting she'd be pretty impressed by what had happened, and I knew I could trust them. There are stairs in Corwin's office. Don't tell anyone, okay? But he said that only I could get the stuff that would make the thermalizer work properly. The ther- the thermalizer? So I was right then, it has nothing to do with the milk. No, I don't think so. So you went down where Albert went? Stormy asked. Yes, but I didn't come back in a coma. But why you? Oh, they just saw how good a milkman I am, and I was the obvious choice for the mission. Really? Yeah, mostly. Sometimes it amazes me how fast a person's thoughts can go. In the blink of an eye, I weighed all the good and bad points of telling them everything. I thought of Travis being a pariah, but I'm not like him. I have a solid job, and I wasn't planning on devoting my life to weird religious beliefs. But I could tell that Stormy and Mr. Greenwood didn't really think that I was telling the truth about going underground, or if I was telling the truth, that I wasn't chosen just because of my milk-delivering prowess. I'd have to tell the truth, but I couldn't tell them the whole truth, not about the interrogations. But what did it mean to always tell the truth anyways? So? Stormy asked, getting impatient. Travis thinks I'm what they call a seeker, and I think Corwin does too. I've always had these visions, and I think, what the heck's a seeker, Howie? I'm not really sure. Something about being able to connect with the spirits? Stormy bolted out of her chair. Connect with spirits? I think you're still not feeling well. You need a rest. I have to go study for final exams. And out she went, leaving Mr. Greenwood pulling on his pipe and looking pensive. Are you you sure you went underground, Howie? Yes, I think so, but I'm not supposed to tell anyone. You hear all kinds of stories about what's underground, but my advice as someone who knows a little bit about these things, trust the facts, what you can see with your own eyes and touch with your own hands. I don't think the facts bear out the existence of spirits or ghosts. I ran my fingers over my shirt and felt the stitches on my chest, the sharp little stubs of the cat gut. I didn't say anything. He gave me a sort of fatherly grin and got up. Well, you you finish up here with breakfast and get some rest, all right? I'll be up to check on you in a bit. I suppose that they didn't like to hear about me possibly being a seeker. I thought maybe I shouldn't tell anyone else about it. Maybe it wasn't true anyways. After all, I didn't get any milk from the cow. I got stabbed, just the same way McMurdle got hurt somehow down there. It could happen to anyone. I decided not to worry about it. I was looking forward to a day of just lying there doing nothing and looking out the window and eating the Greenwood's amazing food. And I would just tell Stormy I was delirious and we'd get along again. I didn't realize that it was going to be a busy day and that I would be visited by three men about my subterranean journey. But just as the clock downstairs struck noon, 
There was a knock on the door. I heard voices. I'm looking for Howie Coxwell. And soon after, none other than Mr. Corwin was in the room. Mr. Greenwood came up with him. Corwin had a bouquet of flowers that he handed to me. I didn't really know what to do with them, so I just held them there. Here's our wounded soldier on the mend. Howie, I was terribly worried about you. First day with a red badge and we have an accident like this. I'm so glad you're in good hands here. Very good hands. We had orange juice for breakfast. Corwin smiled. I'll, I'll leave you two to speak. After Mr. Greenwood left, Corwin locked the door with the key that was in the keyhole. I thought you'd be able to handle the task I assigned to you, and I'm very sorry that you were not. I can try again, Mr. Corwin. Good, Howie. That's the right attitude. When you fall off the horse, you have to get right back on. How long are you going to be lying around here? I don't know. I already feel a lot better than yesterday. Maybe a day or two? Good. You take your little holiday here, and I'll expect you back on your rounds the day after tomorrow. Also, what have you been saying about what happened? Saying about what happened? Yes, we don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. Civilians don't understand these things. You don't want to end up in a mental institution or some other unpleasant place. I just said that I don't remember anything. I was just walking around and boom, I woke up here. That's a good start. I think you must have gotten some bad fish from Granard's Chippery. I know you often go there to get your dinner. The fish probably made you hallucinate. In your delirium, you tripped and fell on a nail that was left on the road by the milk station. I've already told the milkmen that's what happened. A lot of the townsfolk have likely heard the story by now. Do you have any questions? No, sir. Good, then I'll see you at work tomorrow. You said the day after. Of course, the day after. Farewell, Howie. I felt pretty tired after he left. Mr. Corwin thinks of everything, and I felt lucky to have a man like that in my corner. But then I remembered what I'd told Stormy and Mr. Greenwood. Stormy might be telling her friends. I started feeling queasy as my eyes rested on the yellow walls. The paisley pattern seemed to be moving up and down, and it was making my stomach churn. I closed my eyes, but I still felt dizzy. And then, right about one o'clock, Dr. Barrett came to visit. I told him I was feeling dizzy and ill. He said it would pass and not to worry. We're lucky there was no infection. Corwin told me you'd fallen on a rusty nail. Not sure how you managed to do that, but it must not have been too rusty. You should recover relatively quickly, but you're going to have to start taking better care of yourself. You're young and strong now, but if you continue to eat poorly and not get enough sleep, you won't be young and strong for long. Tell me, doctor, can bad fish make you hallucinate? I think I got some bad fish. He frowned and thought about this. It's possible that some fish might have elevated levels of alkaloids that could make you hallucinate, but it would be very rare and very unusual. But it's possible? I got dinner at Granard's and I thought it tasted a bit off. Still frowning, the doctor went on. It's not impossible, but I would be very surprised if that's what happened. It sure is surprising. 
Later, after lunch, I was very surprised at my next visitor. It was Father Whelan. I was really touched because he was visibly upset and agitated when he came into the room. He pulled up the chair just like everyone else had. I was surprised that his voice had all the gravitas of one of his sermons. Hello, my son. I'm very glad to see you're okay. When they found you, we all feared the worst, and someone brought me in to say the last rites. I sat up with you, but Dr. Barrett said you were going to pull through. Thank you, Father Whelan. Of course, my son. It's my duty. It's my duty. I did want to ask you, though, Howie. You know it's all over town that you got some bad fish at Granard's. Now, we both know that's not true, right? That's what happened. Bad fish. Father Whelan shifted uneasily in his too small chair. Granard is having a terrible time. I thought you should know. Some are talking about boycotting his shop. Others are sticking by him in his hour of need. He says he might have to close down and move away. News like this can destroy you in a small town. That's really terrible. I love his sandwiches. Father Whelan looked into my eyes with great intensity. Those sandwiches have been a staple of life in St. Gaff's from time immemorial, Howie. There is no finer institution on this island and no greater source of comfort available to the islanders than a warm cup of chowder on a cold, rainy day. You don't really want to do anything to ruin that, do you? You're putting that man's livelihood at risk. You know as well as I do that there's nothing wrong with his fish. He buys it from the few local fishermen still plying their trade here. No one's ever had a problem. Well, that's what happened. Son, when they brought me to you, you spoke about visions. Evil cows, monsters, cracked pillars, a madman chasing you with a knife. I guess I was just delirious. It's a sin to lie, Howie, and lying about Granard's chippery is a very grave sin. But I had the visions before I told anyone about Granard's. The good Lord above knows your heart, Howie. He knew the lie was on the tip of your tongue, and he sent those visions to warn you. I urge you now to recant before something happens to that chippery that we will all regret. Stormy was still out by late afternoon, but I felt good enough to get up. It was slow and painful, but I got to my feet and hobbled to the door. Hello? No one answered. The hallway was covered in wild purple wallpaper. I made my way down to the bathroom. In the mirror, I was pale and thin. There were lots of nice things in there. Creams and a fine metal razor. There were all sorts of things in the drawers. I didn't even know what they were all for. Medicines, ointments, flowery soaps, a big glass jar. I sniffed it. Stormy's perfume. I heard some noises and went back to the hallway. Hello? No one. I went into the next room. I guessed that it was Mr. Greenwood's room. There was a musty, not totally unpleasant smell. It was dim, withdrawn, brown curtains. A huge telescope made of brass or something was aimed out one window. I could only imagine the things he could see with it. 
On a big dresser, there were three shiny wooden pipes and a tin of tobacco. What a thing it is to be an established adult with all these possessions. You can make your room any way you want, and you can buy all sorts of expensive things you don't even need. I vowed to myself that one day, I'd have a telescope of my own, and I'd keep an eye on everything with it. There was that noise again. It was coming from downstairs. I limped down the stairs. All the sounds were coming from a room on the side of the house. I went in, and there was Mr. Greenwood tinkering away on something. Oh, hi, Howie. Feeling better? A bit. The room was a workshop with all types of tools and machines. He was hunched over a big cylindrical machine with hoses coming out of it. There were a bunch of certificates on the wall. He noticed I was looking at them. Those are my patents. What's that? Well, I design machines and inventions and sell them to others to make. And the government gives me a patent so that no one else can make the same machine without paying me a little bit. That's how I make a living these days. See this one? I'm working on something I call the Greenwood Automatic Dusting Tool. It uses a small turbine to suck dust off the floor. It uses a gasoline motor, a bit like an automobile, but I've connected the exhaust to a hose. You can just hang it out the window to avoid having any fumes in the house. Do you know where Stormy is? She's studying with some classmates. Two more exams and she's done with high school. Hard to believe. I never went. I guess she'll be able to teach me a lot of things once she's done. Oh, she's a bright girl. Ambitious more than I ever was. Did you learn how to do all of this in high school? He sighed and stopped whatever he was doing and sat back on his chair. I always liked machines, but where I learned the most was in the army. I was in the engineer corps in the last war. It's a good thing, too, since I would never be able to point a rifle at another person. I, I had a knack for machines and coming up with fast ways to build bridges. It was a, a terrible time, but I was one of the lucky ones, for the most part, being behind the lines. After they saw what a knack I had, they set me up in my own workshop with a small staff and let me work away. I got paid a bit extra. There was a bit more to send home to the missus. Did you ever make any really big guns or bombs? Not so much. I, the best thing I made back then was the Greenwood listening machine. The armies called on to dig for one reason or another, and I created a machine that could listen to see if the ground was deep enough. For whatever reason, the army didn't want it. That's my big regret. And you never saw any action in the war? Oh, I don't know if I'd say that. Actually, the lines broke one day, and... We were overrun. My workshop, some were killed, some taken prisoner. You were a prisoner of war? Yes, for a couple of years. When I finally came home, there were nightmares, and I had a case of the nerves, and the missus couldn't stand it, but I found if I kept my hands busy, I could keep the nightmares away. Then he looked at me. All I want now is for Stormy to be happy, and I just need one of these inventions to become popular, and she'll be set for life. Let's hope the dusting tool does the trick, eh? That night, I was wiped out just from walking about the house a bit, but we had a nice dinner of beefsteak and potatoes and green beans, 
and after lights out, Stormy sneaked into my room without a word and lay down beside me. And we slept like that, side by side, with the perfume in her hair. I imagined we were like a married couple, and I felt really lucky, breathing in the air she breathed out. In the morning, we woke up before dawn. She rolled over, and our faces were close together. I've been thinking about what she said, that the milkmen think you've got some special way to know what's underground. Is that true, Howie? I don't know. I've always had these spells. I've been seeing Dr. Barrett about it, but I don't really know what it's all about. Well, if that's what they believe, you should go with it. What if they want me to go underground again? She thought about this a minute and pursed her lips. Maybe we should get you a knife so you can fight off anything you find down there. I was just thinking, if you going down there got you a red badge, doing what they want might get you even more promotions. Maybe if you keep it up, you can get a job with the department in Ming's Bite, an office job, and then you wouldn't have to go underground or even deliver milk anymore. But I like delivering milk. I know, I know, for now, but we have to think about the future too, right? I sort of agreed, and then she left to get dressed and get ready for school. But really, I wasn't so sure I wanted to go back to Ming's Bite. I was feeling pretty restless, so I put on my uniform after she left. Stormy had sewed up the hole in the chest and cleaned it up. I've been wearing some of her dad's old pajamas around the house. I went out onto the street and it felt so good to breathe in some fresh spring air and hear the birds and everything else. I just strolled along for a while enjoying my day off and eventually I made my way downtown. That's when I started noticing something strange. The pavement in some places was broken. I was really surprised to see that part of the postal office had collapsed and a couple of the other buildings were on a strange off-kilter angle. I didn't want to get too close to the milk station because I didn't want anyone to see me walking around when I was supposed to be on the mend. But I could still see down there and that it wasn't a dream. Something was wrong with Billy on the wall and he really was cracked in two. I stopped someone on the sidewalk, Mr. Blackwell, a client of mine. For some reason, he didn't look too happy to see me. Mr. Blackwell, excuse me? Oh, it's you. What is it? What happened? What's wrong with the buildings? He screwed up his face like I was some sort of idiot. You didn't feel the earthquake two nights ago? No. Well, there was an earthquake. And then he turned on his heel and left. An earthquake? I'd never been through one and I was annoyed that I'd missed it. I kept walking and saw the baker. I waved, but he frowned at me and crossed the street. That wasn't like him at all. You're gone a couple of days and things sure are different. I got to the chippery and decided to go in and try to smooth things over with Granard. He was a pretty young guy, thin and tall, with a red beard. He worked six days a week and had a little family I saw once. His shop was just a small place, really just a counter, and he made everything behind there. But today, he was outside locking up his shop, even though it was the middle of the day. Hey, Granard, what the blazes do you think you're doing here? Look, Granard, I know what you're upset about, but it's not my fault, okay? You told everyone my fish made you sick. Now the police tell me I've got to close the shop until a health inspector comes from the mainland. No one can say how long that's going to take, and what am I supposed to do in the meantime? 
Oh, that's terrible, I didn't realize. You had fish chowder, if I remember. No way did it make you sick. How can you be so sure? Dr. Barrett told me that some fish have alkanoids, and they can make people hallucinate. I only use cod, and there's no cod in the world that ever made anyone sick. There was obviously no reasoning with the man, so I left him there. I'm sure he'd sort it out one way or another, and I was just doing what I'd been told, after all. I continued my walk until I got to Lapham Square. This was the biggest park in the town, and it actually wasn't a square at all. It was actually a big circle with a fountain in the middle. The fountain was a bit cracked, but still working. Long, curved benches wrap all around the fountain, and you can just sit there and watch the world go by. I'd seen people do it, but I'd never just sat there myself. But today, I did. It was pretty warm, and I leaned back and soaked up the atmosphere. There weren't too many people around. I decided to take out my pipe, and I stuffed it with tobacco the way I'd seen others do it. Actually, it was Mr. Greenwood's pipe, but I figured a man only needs one pipe, and Mr. Greenwood had three, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind. I lit it, and I already knew that I wasn't supposed to breathe in the smoke too much. Just let it swirl around in your mouth like a glass of fine wine. It was the first time I'd smoked at all, and I liked it. This was the life, I thought, and it occurred to me that I hadn't felt so well rested for a long time. All that sleep and good food at the Greenwoods had really done me some good. A hobo shuffled past and picked up an old newspaper, and then he kept on shuffling away. Just one of the many sides of life, I thought. Some sleep in feather beds and smoke pipes, and others rummage around in the garbage. The seasons keep changing, the sun goes up and down, and all is well with the world. I stretched out my feet and vowed to do this more often. But then something struck me. I was used to seeing homeless guys all the time back home, but I didn't think there were any at all on St. Gaff's. I looked back and forth and couldn't find him right away. Then I heard a bunch of little kids laughing. There were about six little boys and girls, all about three years old, and they were all watching the hobo. He was singing a strange little song, and all the kids were yelling, Again! Again! He passed right by me and stopped. All the kids looked at him as he bent over a little. He stuck out his hands and pulled off his finger. I almost screamed when he looked at me and started snickering. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? 
We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.